What is up, everybody? This is Nick from P2W Fantasy. And after several rep meetings, uh, some podcast contract discussions, and some luck, I have two great guests on the pod at the same time this week that I've been super excited about. So I have uh, John Bauer and Jacob Dunn both together tonight. So I figured uh, before we jump into things here, I got to introduce the guests and make sure that they get to talk about everything they have going on because these are two very busy guys with great fantasy content. So to start things off, we've got John Bauer, host of the Dynasty Theory FF, um, and also with uh, Fantasy Football Confidential. So, John, super active on Twitter. Um, every time you're live, I like to click on that link and listen to you guys all talk. You got two great shows. Can you just tell everybody where we can find you? Because this is going to go out on uh, iTunes and all all that good stuff after today. But where can we find you? And why don't you give us uh, some insight on what you got going on? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, Nick, thank you so much for having me. So like you said, I'm John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter at the Bauer Club. I am one of the hosts of Dynasty Theory. That's at Dynasty Theory FF and Fantasy Football Confidential at FF underscore Confidential. Both of those on Twitter and Instagram. And then for Dynasty Theory, we actually just kicked off the Patreon today. A lot of great content. We have the Discord chat. Um, you know, great conversations going on in there pretty much nonstop since we kicked it off. So I'm super excited about that. But like you said, Nick, I'm super active on Twitter. You know, anybody that, that I have connected with, reach out to me, DM me. I'm always up for some discussions about fantasy football. Awesome. Yeah, I I uh, constantly am trying to share your stuff when it, when it drops out just because you can always count on consistent, good material, whether it's just a simple tweet or um, a live stream or whatever else you got going on at the time. So uh, always great content from you, as well as my guy, Jacob Dunn. Um, Jacob is a guy I talk to on a daily basis, pretty much. Uh, he's, you got a lot of things going on. Uh, talk prime time, new life, fantasy, fantasy six pack. You have the mile high salute podcast. And what I like to see almost every other week is you being, uh, one of the top rankers on fantasy pros. And I always, <laughs> I always boost you for that. I'm like your hype man. So Jacob, can you tell us, uh, what you got going on, where we can find you all that good stuff. I appreciate that, Nick. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ain't Done Yet, and Done is spelled D-U-N-N-E. And, you know, I put out a weekly streamers article. I put out the weekly rankings, which you said, like, I've had some luck with the Fantasy Pros rankings this year. I mean, it is, uh, it's, it takes a lot of work to put into your rankings, but a lot of luck goes into it. I mean, who knows what's going to happen on a week-to-week basis, but luck always favors the prepared. I always say that. So if you want streamers, if you want articles, and if you want the occasional Broncos preview, because I am in Denver and now I'm forced to keep writing that, even though we have no shot at the playoffs, I would love for you guys to follow me and, and just to DM me and, you know, do whatever. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So again, two great guests, uh, that I'm big, uh, a big fan of for sure. So, um, what we got going on today, talking a little bit about week 12 uh, and also just some fantasy questions in general. I, I thought it'd be appropriate if I have both of you guys on at the same time, I have to take advantage of that and just spit out as many questions to you guys as possible. So I really thought about some good topics that could apply to um, redraft, some 2020 talk, some dynasty, just a lot of different things, um, all obviously related to fantasy football. So um, to kick things off, Looking back to week 12, a lot of, a lot of different news dropped, um, some big surprises of the week. Uh, I get nervous sometimes when my sleeper app goes off because I don't know if it's going to be good news, bad news, or what the case is going to be. But 
looking back to week 12, if you had to give us one surprise of the week, what would that be and why? And we'll, we'll start off with John. What was one surprise of week 12 for you? I laughed whenever I saw these show notes because in on fantasy football confidential and dynasty theory, my co-host can tell you I can never limit something to just one. <laughs> so I have a whole list here, but I am going to throw just one. Okay. And all right. It actually came after, well, I mean, technically we're still in week 12, but it was the Will Fuller suspension. Mm. And I, I know we're going to get to, I, I was laughing at one of the questions that you had because it related to Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. And I was like, I had oh, to adjust that one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's kind of the the state of fantasy football that we're in, you know, constantly changing and and moving on the fly here. But just the the fallout there in Houston, not only does it impact Will Fuller, obviously, on a contract year, is he going to get extended? How is that going to play into how much money he's going to be making moving forward? But then the the splits that you see with Deshaun Watson, and he is not as effective and efficient when Will Fuller is not on the field. So I do think there's just so many fantasy implications. Brandon Cooks, obviously, I think he's going to get a higher target share, but how is that going to impact with him being back to a number one in that offense? They just cut Kenny Stills, so they're really hurting at wide receiver. Do they include more of the tight ends in their in their schemes and packages? Does Duke Johnson, do we finally see him get more involved in the passing game? We saw it a little bit on Thanksgiving, but I, I'm really intrigued to see how that one plays out because Will Fuller, he was a bona fide one for fantasy purposes, and it's going to leave a huge hole in that offense. Yeah, and it's, uh, it is going to be interesting to see what that domino, domino effect looks like because I'm um, just listening to some other opinions. Uh, some people think maybe Jordan uh, Atkins will take a little bit of a leap here in the uh, tight end position. Will, you know, Kiki Kuti, who popped out of nowhere, you know, he was a, a name in the past that people were excited about that dropped uh, out of uh, fantasy relevance. And now he has uh, an opportunity to get some more targets. Uh, they have that rookie Isaiah Coulter. So there's a lot of different routes that this team can go and seeing Watson have back to back 30 plus weeks. It kind of it's kind of a hit for his uh, manager just a little bit, just because he uh, loses such a great weapon that he's had um, through the season. And Will Fuller uh, dropping out of our fantasy season here, not due to an injury, was a definite uh, big surprise there. So, J Jacob, you have any comments on uh, the Will Fuller uh, news there? Uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I heard this news, I was like, well, that explains why he hasn't gotten hurt at all this yes. year. I mean, yes. his hamstrings are made of glass. And I was like, that explains <laughs> a ton. I mean, I respected the Instagram apology. But I was, man, I, it's tough to say whether he was honest or not. And I am not one to question a man's integrity, but I mean, those hamstrings, like they get pulled at least like five times a year and uh, they weren't pulled once. So we saw what he was capable of when he's fully healthy, but man, it took some extra stuff for him to stay healthy. So hopefully, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but no. You know, I always want to give players the benefit of the doubt, but then the very next day, uh, Roby, the defensive back there in Houston, he gets right. a six game suspension. So it's like, did he go to the same doctor and he wasn't aware what's going on here? And right. then I saw some tweets that, uh, uh, Brian Cushing, he's mm. uh, one of the strength and, uh, you know, strength and conditioning coaches, former player. 
Yeah, and I think he was busted for PEDs. Oh, so it's gosh. like, okay, what else is going on here? So I, yeah, I, I don't know. I like you said, I don't want to, you know, uh, right? It, somebody's lying here, sure. but it doesn't look great, right? So yeah. J- Jacob, what um, surprised you from week twelve? One thing that surprised me was Stefan Diggs. I mean, I had him as a top five wide receiver going into this week because I thought the Charters and Bills game was going to be a like a shootout with Herbert and Josh Allen. I thought this game was just going to be fireworks. And he didn't record a single catch until the third quarter. And he technically wasn't targeted until the third quarter. So he did end up with seven catches, but he barely averaged over five yards per catch. And, uh, you know, again, in a game where I had him top five and this was going to be fireworks, for him to just average five yards per catch, that was a huge letdown for my fantasy teams, one, my rankings, two, and just for all of the fantasy world who started him and had high hopes for him. Yeah, the uh, the funny thing with the dig stat line is that I knew about it at halftime, not just from me checking my phone. We had a busy day. My brother got engaged um, this past Sunday, so we had right. this big plan uh, for that. Uh, so I wasn't in tune as much as I usually am with all the stat lines and things like that. But my wife has some similar players, ironically or not ironically, than I do uh, in some <laughs> leagues. So she actually was the one that nudged me and said, guess what Stefan Diggs has right now? Zero. And Dude, she gave me one of those looks because I was probably at one time a guy that said, hey, you should draft him. So, yeah, that, that was surprising as well, too. I mean, he finished the game with seven catches, not a ton, 39 yards, right. but for a while it, it took him uh, a little bit longer scary. than we wanted to, to get into that game for sure. Right. Man, we got Mendy popping in here. Wow. I'm starstruck with this group. Oh, Mendy. Yeah. Mendy. What a great guy. Love that. Uh, guy. Huge week for Tyree kill. I, I had a little bit of a trivia question for you guys here. So Tyree kill scored 57.9 PPR points this past week. He had the three touchdowns again, into the game, it was the first quarter, and my brother got engaged. Said, "Guess what? You know, guess what? Tyreek Hill has right now." And I said, 10. And he said, "Higher." And I just kept going, and I was just shook that he had that amount of points <laughs> in the first quarter. So he had 57.9. Can you guys name off the top of your head guys who have scored 40 plus in a week this season? And if you want to just spitfire out some names, I'm going to go DK Metcalf. So DK Metcalf, week eight, 40.1. So that's one of them. Tyler Lockett. Yeah. Yep. Tyler Lockett was one as well. Oh. I won't make you have all of them. Maybe we can get two weeks. Will Fuller one? Ooh. Last week probably, huh? Will Fuller, I think, was in the 35 range around there. But it looks like like Tyree Kill was the season high, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, for sure. And was and Dalvin he, Cook up there? Dalvin Cook, week eight, 48.6. Nice. Jacob, can you give us one one more guess? Who? I'm going to go with, uh, oh, man, this is tough. This is a non-quarterback, right? Yes, all non-quarterbacks. Oof. Um, I'm just going to take a guess. I'm going to go with Alvin Kamara. Good answer. I feel like yes. we're on family feud. Good answer. Thanks, Good man. Answer. Oh, Good answer. Good answer. Good week answer. three. <laughs> week three. Alvin Kamara, week three. You're right. Uh, other other guys, Derrick Henry, Chase Claypool, Joe Mixon, Ooh. George Kittle, and Devontae Adams or some other names that scored 40-plus. But just looking at the the weekly highs, I had to uh, jot down some notes on that. Dang. 
So going into the uh, the next topic here, so I gave you guys two guys, but then I feel like I was discrediting a couple guys here. So I'm going to read you guys off some of the rookie wide receivers, and you tell me who finishes the year as your rookie wide receiver one. So based off of this year's performance, maybe not necessarily dynasty. Uh, so originally I said T Higgins or Justin Jefferson. I also threw in CD Lamb and Claypool just because of performances and where they stand for the position. So uh, T Higgins, wide receiver 26, he's averaging 13.3, five touchdowns on the year. He's had weeks where he scored 21, 18.7, 18.8, 22.5, 15.4. He only had three games under 10 points. Justin Jefferson's the wide receiver 12 right now, averaging 16.5. He's got six touchdowns. He's had two weeks above 30, almost hit that 40 mark. 21.5, 17.6, and 26. He, he does have five games this season under 10 points, though. C.D. Lamb, wide receiver 24. He has an average of 13.3. He's had a few weeks above 20, uh, one at 17.5, 16.6, three weeks under 10. And then the last guy I got on this list, Chase Claypool, wide receiver 22, 10 total touchdowns, uh, averaging 15.5 points. He's had that 42.6 uh, week from that list we just mentioned. He's had a few weeks at 15, and then he's had a 21.3 point week. He's been three weeks under 10. So a lot of stats, a lot of uh, um, notes there on those guys. For you, when the season ends, so in a few weeks here, who will you say is the wide receiver one of 2020, the rookie season? Uh, Jacob, we'll, we'll start with you on this one. Um, I'm gonna go with Justin Jefferson and it's really not that close for me because all those other wideouts, CD lamb and T Higgins, they just lost their starting quarterback or CD lamb hasn't had his for weeks now. Now I'm bummed because it's like, if all those rookie wideouts had a steady, consistent quarterback, even Jerry Judy, if he would have had drew lock all season, perhaps he would even have better stats. Uh, but it's, Justin Jefferson and Claypool for me, just because they've, they have a steady elite quarterback. Um, I mean, Kirk Cousins isn't elite elite, but I mean, at least he knows how to get him the ball and the ball consistently. So I'm going with Justin Jefferson just because, you know, he was touted in the off season to be the heir apparent to Stefan Diggs. And I thought that was outlandish, but he's proving to be, if not as good, maybe a little bit better. I mean, he's he is a monster, and his route running is almost as good as Jerry Judy. So I'm going to go with Justin Jefferson here. Anthony's chiming in here at the big three. I don't know if you can say that about me in the picture there, but uh, these two for Absolutely, sure. Absolutely. But can. yeah, just, Justin Jefferson that definitely having a, a massive year, especially on those weeks where he's probably winning you your matchup when he's scoring those 30-plus point weeks. But uh it was funny, you know, going into the year, though, that there were some people that were buying into the B.C. Johnson camp talk, and that was just outrageous to me. But, uh, John, John, are you in agreement, or do you have somebody else in mind? I wish I could mix it up here, but I also am going with Justin Jefferson. And just like you guys mentioned, there were some people that were a little skeptical of Justin Jefferson coming in, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's B.C. Johnson or – the amount of 12 personnel the Minnesota Vikings run. And we know that Justin Jefferson excelled out of the slot, but what happens when he's pushed out wide, even though he did run out wide, you know, a little bit there in college, but you know, T Higgins has been super impressive. Mm -hmm. CD lamb. I don't know if we are having this conversation. If Dak Prescott is still playing 
you know, I think it would be maybe Jefferson two, CD Lamb one. But what really makes it that impressive for me for Justin Jefferson, the Vikings throw the ball about 30 times per game. The Bengals and Cowboys, they're up to about 45 times per game. So that that makes it super impressive for me. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned the other guys, Claypool, even Brandon I, Jerry Judy. They've had their moments, but just overall, I have to go Justin Jefferson. It's been extremely impressive. He's been able to perform with Thielen in the lineup and without him in the lineup. He's not one of those players where you're going to sit there and wonder, can he be a one in an offense? Because we hear it all the time, right? We hear, heard it about Juju Smith-Schuster in Pittsburgh. And, you know, it, I think Justin Jefferson, that question can be put to bed. He can be a wide receiver one. And I, he's a top 10 dynasty receiver. I, I, Lamb, I think he's there too. And Higgins, he's top 15 for me. I, I think this class, it's so funny because coming in, the talk was all about the running backs. Everybody, one of those high-end running backs. Right. But it's the wide receivers that have really been showing out this season. It's been super impressive. It, one of the best classes we've ever had from top to bottom. And, you know, you could mention six, seven guys here that we should be extremely excited about. But yeah, Jacob stole my answer. I'm going Justin Jefferson. <laughs> it's a good answer. Yeah, yeah. Good. Again, with the family feud, uh, good, good answer. But um, yeah, I think it's hard to debate that right now. There, there's been so many different factors that have come into play with some of these guys, like you mentioned before, Jacob, with uh, with CD Lamb. We, we thought right away he was go- going to be um, the wide receiver one for this class based off of some early performances. But he has that asterisk now with Dalton. And then Jerry Judy, uh, Jacob, I know that's a guy you and I have talked about so much um, coming into the year. Uh but looking at his situation now, the, the volume's not where it needs to be uh, at times. And we're actually going to talk about Denver here uh, into our next topic. So, again, if you're tuning in, we're just spitting out different questions and different sort of topics. I think it makes for a fun podcast that way because um, there's so much to talk about. And uh, we're looking ahead and we're looking now. But with this past week, uh, especially with you being on the, the po- podcast, Jacob, I have to throw this question out there. The situation with Denver in week 12. So from a fantasy perspective, Brandon McC- uh, McManus, who oh, had to spit that one out. Brandon McManus had five points. Royce Freeman also had five. Melvin Gordon had 3.1. Noah Fant had 2.3. Philip Lindsay had two. And everybody else had zero or negative. They didn't really play with the quarterback in this game. So um, with not being able to play one of their three or four, I believe, quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that, and we'll start with you, Jacob, do you think that the league approached this situation the correct way? I mean, this was very strange. You know, even though I live in Broncos country, I do a podcast for the Broncos. I feel like I'm supposed to be mad that they didn't postpone it or they didn't make some special, you know, rescheduling. But, you know, I don't believe there could have been a better way to handle it considering that, the Broncos were already forced into a bye week earlier in the season, thanks to Cam Newton getting it. So there really wasn't any room for error. Um, since it was just the quarterbacks who got COVID, I kind of believe the league saw it as justice to play the game anyways, since they were all reportedly not wearing masks. So it sucks, but given the weird year, it is what it is. Any thoughts, JB? 
Well, whenever I saw that news, first of all, did anybody ever think we would be missing even Blake Bortles as a quarterback? Like, please get Blake in there somehow. But as soon as I saw that news instantly, I went through all of my lineups and this season, because it's been so chaotic, I have been spending countless hours, yes, hours adjusting my lineups with every piece of news that comes out. But I dropped Noah Fant out. I dropped Jerry Judy if I had him. Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay. You know, if I had any other option, any player that was going to be on a field for any of the the teams that were were playing this weekend, I was throwing them in there. But I, I think they handled it as well as they could have, and I had no issue with it up to that point. Yeah. But then you and I know people are comparing it to the Baltimore situation where it is completely different Mm -hmm. because and for Denver and Jacob, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was only the one positive test. I don't even think the other quarterbacks tested positive, but because there were close contacts. Right. 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 Exactly. It was too soon. So for Baltimore, you know, obviously it was an outbreak. You have 20 plus players and personnel, and I have no issue with them pushing that Thursday game to. Monday, then Tuesday, then Wednesday. My issue is why is that Baltimore-Dallas game getting pushed back to Tuesday when the Steelers still play next Monday? That doesn't, make, that doesn't make sense to me. And coincidentally, it ties out to Lamar Jackson coming back. That is the 10th day, I think, for him. So I just think it's a little too coincidental. And I'm not going to sit here and say it's a conspiracy. And yes, I am in Pittsburgh, but I always say that my heart lives and breathes and dies with my fantasy teams, even ahead of my Steelers. But mm-hmm. I, I just think it's too coincidental that the day that Lamar Jackson can come back, that's when that game gets pushed to. And I haven't seen an explanation. You know, I, I know yeah. the explanation we got for tomorrow is because the Christmas tree is getting lit at night. So that's why the game's early. And I thought that was kind of funny, but yeah. you know, if they push that Denver game back one day, could have the, could the quarterbacks have played? I don't, I don't really know how the protocol was there or if you know it, it took X amount of days. I'm not sure. But that's kind of what made me raise my eyebrows. Otherwise, I thought, like you said, Jacob, it is what it is. And then as fantasy owners, we know the risk associated with playing these players right. in situations. You know, looking at Baltimore Pittsburgh, just because of the risk there, I pulled all of them out of my lineup too. If I had been Juju, whoever, they were sitting this week for me. But yeah, I mean, it definitely makes for an interesting season. And I, I always I joke, if this was your first year playing fantasy football, you're probably like, <laughs> oh. I'm never playing again. No, I'm right. not. Right. I quit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we talked we talked about the the Baltimore situation in just one of my league group check. And uh we just thought it was weird how specific the situation in Denver was where it was the quarterbacks in a meeting, they didn't wear masks and it just came out. They admitted it and Fangio came out and he was disappointed about the whole thing. But then you go to the Ravens and everything's very hush hush. Like how did this outbreak spread within the clubhouse? Like did, did they break some sort of protocol? And there was tweets that came out about, you know, what the actual league protocol was and the, the regulations with that and that, you know, Denver might've um, buried themselves in that situation. But it, it's just so funny to see, how one team it's so specific the next team you don't hear anything the situations are different but it's such a weird year like you guys are saying where um almost on a weekly basis i'm, I'm with you jb i spend way too much time setting and changing and adjusting and reflecting on my lineups it's like half the week i'm, I'm doing that as well um and with these denver players i don't think we'll see again hopefully not knock on wood but in the future the projections for an entire team to take a massive jump 
down the way it did uh, with the Broncos as soon as the news broke. Noah Fant was the he had the only reception. There was one reception <laughs> by any Bronco in his Noah Fant. And I got to say, Hinton, I thought he took that like a champ. Oh, you know, man. he was put yeah. in a terrible situation. I thought the play calling could have been a little bit better, maybe design something, you know, just dump offs. They were having this kid throw it on the field. And I thought he did yeah. everything he could. And then I always laugh because people sit there and say, oh, you know, I could complete X amount of passes. I don't think you could. Yeah, yeah. No. When they're sitting behind the, uh, it's that one uh, gif or jif, however you uh, say it from the uh, South Park episode South Park, with yep. the guy behind the the computer saying those things there. But uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I respect Hinton, and I love that he was in sales last month, and now all of a sudden he's quarterbacking an NFL team in the next month. You know, he had barely any reps, zero reps. Um, I will say though, jokingly, he made Tim Tebow look like Peyton Manning. I mean. We missed Tebow that day, I will say. <laughs> that had to be funny if uh, one of his buddies didn't catch the news right away and he just texted him, hey, check the Broncos game out on Sunday. Ugh. And then you tune in to see that. So, yeah, super interesting week with uh, with Denver there. Yeah. So we, we talked about Tyreek Hill um, earlier in the podcast here, having that massive, I think, 57-point week with Patrick Mahomes. So it seems like dynasty wise. So I, I check dynasty rankings pretty often uh, off of fantasy pros and sometimes on ESPN or some other sources, but it, it changes often almost on a weekly basis. Um, especially when it comes to the, the talk of Twitter. So Mahomes and, and Tyreek have this massive week and now Tyreek for a lot of people is the dynasty wide receiver. One Devonte Adams has a massive week. And Devonte Adams is the wide receiver one. DK Metcalf's name's been thrown in that hat pretty often as well. And it's crazy to think that last year it seemed like Michael Thomas was the number one without any sort of debate. So um, what I have here is the top 10, according to Fantasy Pros, that was updated today, December 1st. And here's how the rankings currently are for wide receivers in Dynasty. So one, DK Metcalf they had. Two, Devonta Adams. Three, A.J. Brown. Four, Tyree Kill. Five, DeAndre Hopkins. Six, C.D. Lamb. Seven, Michael Thomas. Eight, Justin Jefferson. Nine, Calvin Ridley. And then 10, Terry McLaurin. I also <laughs> ran a poll, which we see too often on, on Twitter, but I uh, got a decent amount of votes on there. 433 votes. I said, who is your dynasty wide receiver one? And in comparison to fantasy pros, the consensus 42% wise was Devonte Adams. So maybe not a consensus, but the highest percentage was Devonte Adams. And then in second was Tyreek Hill, 34%, DK Metcalf, 21%. And again, funny stat here, Michael Thomas, 3% after looking at what we thought of him last year. So hmm. fantasy pros, Twitter talk. What about JB? Who do you have as your dynasty wide receiver one? And I know it's going to change probably on a weekly basis, but we're talking December 1st, 2020. It might change by the end of the show, Nick. For, hey. Forget about <laughs> later this week, later this month. But for me, it comes down to two players. And I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't want to ride the fence here, but it's Tyree Killer, Devontae Adams, which is funny because you mentioned them. Devontae Adams, he's going to be 28 going into 2021. And it's going to be the last year of his deal. Do they keep him around at least until Aaron Rodgers' contract is up in 2023, even though there are some ways they could get out of that contract towards the tail end of it? And then Tyree Kill, he is tied to the best quarterback 
and such an explosive offense. That's nothing groundbreaking. You know, Tyreek Hill, he has that, he got that, that misnomer, I feel like, as a boom bust player. He's a lot more consistent than people want to admit. And his ceiling is, you know, it competes with any, any other ceiling in the NFL. You want to talk about DK Metcalf, Devontae Adams. But for me, Devontae Adams, you know, I, I just, the nice thing about him is you don't have to pay the wide receiver one price to acquire him. Uh, if I have Tyree Kill, I think I can move him for Devontae Adams plus. If I have DK Metcalf and Nick, you're rebuilding, I think I can get Devontae Adams plus another win now piece that's going to help me contend and continue on my path to a championship this year. But yeah, for me, it's Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams. I, I know a lot of people are excited about DK Metcalf, but I, that that offense, yes, it's it's you know pedal to the middle right now, and, and they're throwing the ball a ton. But are they g- going to stick with that? And my worry is that they they regress back to what they've been doing the last few years, where it's a a ground and pound type game. And then you know AJ Brown, he's been fantastic, but he's not there for me right now. You know I, I think you know that that offense does worry me a little bit just because of how reliant it is on Derrick Henry. And I don't want to say, you know, regression for A.J. Brown, but he has been making a ton of big plays. And can we count on that over and over and over again? And the last few weeks, we have been able to. I mean, he's returning onside kicks for touchdowns that are putting him up to like 30 points for the week. Mm-hmm. But yeah, going Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, those are the two guys I have battling it out for my dynasty wide receiver one. Three good analysts on Twitter, Triple Play Fantasy. Thank you, guys. Awesome podcast right there. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, different factors, and that's probably why um, it changes so often. We, we we look at Devontae Adams and what he does on a weekly basis, even without having a good supporting cast of wide receivers with him on a consistent level. And we we question, you know, Aaron Rodgers, 36, what does his dynasty outlook look like in a few uh, years from now? And then Tyree Kill. Some people question, hey, well, you know, Travis Kelsey sometimes is the number one target on that team. You know, does does that take away from where his ceiling could be, even though we've just seen what his ceiling could be? And then DK, like you said, uh, just said, JB, they go back to being the run-heavy team they were in the past, and maybe Lockett gets a boost or somebody else um, gets a little bit more of uh, some volume when the volume's not there. What, what does that mean? So there's so many questions in Dynasty. Um and it does change almost on a daily basis, if not hourly, like you said. Uh, Jake, and, Jacob, who's, who's your guy? Oh. Nick, real quick, and this always happens to me, and I apologize, guys. But a, as I throw my first take out there and somebody else starts to talk, my mind goes a 1,000 miles a minute. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I wanted Perfect. to say that. But Devontae Adams, everybody wants to talk about age and dynasty. And to an mm-hmm. extent, yes. But I, I don't know about you guys. I can't predict five years down the road. I don't even know if we can predict five days down the road during 2020, but Devontae Adams, give me three wide receiver one years, you know, 28, 29, 30. I'm okay with that. And he's traveling down the same path that we saw with Julio Jones value, I think. And, you know, and as long as Devontae Adams can avoid the concussions from here on out, give me him for three years. And I think people are so worried about age, and that's going to allow us to get Devontae Adams a little bit lower come these early offseason startups. That's a good point. Good point. Man, I feel like I feel like I just took like a dynasty tutorial from you, John. I mean, like I feel like I'm about to make like three trades after this. You know, you know, I liked I liked all all uh, of your strategy and points. Now, well, if, if they don't pan out, my DMs are closed for you. I right? don't need you coming after me. You can block me later. 
um, I will say uh, it's funny because I'm about to go almost opposite of you, John, uh, just because I really like DK Metcalf. Um, I fe- when I first saw this question, I thought you were baiting me into saying Tyreek Hill just because of his crazy game he just had. But I, I am never a prisoner of the moment. And it's funny, Twitter has this knack for being a prisoner of the moment. Like any player that explodes is automatically number one in redrafts next year, number one in dynasty. And, uh, you know, we, we need a bigger sample size. And uh, in dynasty, I don't think I've been doing it as long as you, John. I've been doing it probably for about four years now. Um, and I got to say... The age is so I take age into account pretty heavily when I rank my dynasty players. So DK Metcalf, what he's doing at 22 years old is insane. And, you know, he did have a few drops last night apart from his like 200 yard game. He did have a drop in the end zone. That was kind of that was kind of a head scratcher. You know, like he kind of like bear hugged the football. I don't know. Um so he does have some head scratching moments, but he is 22 years old. He's six foot four. He runs a four three, uh, and he is tied to Russell Wilson. And I, I get what you're saying, John, about how the Seahawks love to pound the ball because they do. They've been pounding the ball for years, but their Seahawks or <laughs> the Seahawks defense hasn't been as bad yeah. as they've been in in like forever. Like I can't imagine a worse defense. Even though the Eagles made them look good last night, I think that speaks more to Carson Wentz than it does to the Seahawks' actual talent. So I'm going with DK Metcalf purely on what he's done at such a young age, and he's tied to a very good quarterback who's going to be there for as long as he wants to, which is huge for me. Like you said, it's hard to pick Adams just because Rodgers is 36, Adams is 28. I mean, I he's going to be incredible for at least two to three years. But I just want that safety of knowing that I have this 22 year old who's going to ball out for at least the next six to seven years. I like that. I like that because too, too often we go on podcasts and we all give the thumbs up to every single thing that everybody has uh, to say. And I think we had some nice points crossover right there. And I took a stab at some dynasty rankings. I went a little crazy with the quarterback ones, Jacob. Me and you talked about that. Uh, but yeah, my the Herbert. Uh, it was Herbert over Burrow, right? Yeah, I, I, I did have him pretty pretty high in the list. Um, I'm there but, with you. I I, I like it. about this over you know even before the Burrow injury, and I had yeah. Herbert. If we were ranking them at the time, and then even still now, it would be Herbert yeah. Burrow Tua. But I, I could see the flip between Burrow and Tua at this point, but uh, Herbert mm-hmm. above the other two, without a doubt. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the wide receivers, I, I, I've been juggling the idea of them around a lot. I, I think I think I had, and I still have Adams one and Metcalf two, and then Tyreek Hill three. I think so, I was a lot higher on um, Calvin Ridley than other people were. Um, but yeah, it, it just it, it's just wild in a dynasty, you know, rankings perspective how everything changes so often. And, and that's what I like about fantasy pros is, I mean, I don't agree with a lot that they say. I do agree with a lot they, they, that they say, but I do like the consistency of, Hey, every week on a Monday, we're going to uh, update the ranking. So um, that's awesome. That's the awesome thing about dynasty. It's not set in stone. So mm-hmm. um, speaking even further here on wide receiver stacks, 
I, I threw out the names Fuller and Cooks just because they both have had some very, very nice weeks. We're going to take them out of this discussion now because Will Fuller had the news that we discussed already break. Um, if Regardless if it was him taking medicine, like he said, or what he was actually doing. But uh, I got two different stacks here. So let, let's say you're a fantasy manager and you have a stack of wide receivers in your lineup, which I personally don't have something like this, but could make a case for if a guy, if you have a pair that's in the top 10, you're having a decent fantasy season. Um, so here's my two stacks right now, and I'm going to give you their overall ranking for the year and then what they've been the last three weeks of football. So first one, we, we've been talking about DK a little bit here. He's the wide receiver three on the year. Tyler Lockett is the wide receiver seven on the year. Over the past three games, Metcalf's been the wide receiver 14 and Lockett's been the wide receiver 22. On the other side, our choice is Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Mike Evans is the wide receiver 17. Chris Godwin is the wide receiver 33, obviously missed some time. The last three games, though, Mike Evans is the wide receiver six to Chris Godwin being the wide receiver 10. So we look at it in two different ways. Season long, DK uh, Metcalf and Lockett look like the better pair. But over the last three games, Evans and Godwin look the better pair. Rest of the season, rest of the season. If you had to pick one stack, you had the choice. Who would it be and why? And we'll go with uh, Jacob. We'll go with you on this one. So I'm going to go with DK and Lockett all day. You know, that's the fastest and most talented stack in the NFL, in my opinion. You know, I don't see them both having a bad game on any given week. You know, at least one of them is going to explode every week, if not both. If they both explode, oh my goodness, it's going to break Twitter. Um, but, you know, I I do, from a talent standpoint, Evans and Godwin, they are a monster duo. But I just, I don't trust Brady to consistently feed them enough for them to be my stack pick. I'm I'm going to go with the better quarterback in Russell Wilson with a worst with a worse defense in the Seahawks and go with Metcalf and Lockett. All right. J- JB, are you in agreement or are we going to disagree here? I think Jacob may have peeked at my notes here, but I'm also going to take Lockett. <laughs> And it was, this was super easy for me. Yeah. Like Jacob said, talent-wise, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, they're both phenomenal players. Mm-hmm. Nobody's questioning that. Right. But Tom Brady, especially with the way Gronkowski's been playing, the fact that he is still healthy and we're heading into week 13 amazes me because I did not think we would be there. But then the Same. Antonio Brown signing, Fournette you know, being involved in the passing game, Ronald Jones being solid on the, the ground. I don't like the the, you know, my chances there if I was forced to stack Godwin Evans on a weekly basis throughout the rest of the season for DK and and Tyler Lockett five of the last six weeks, at least one of them's put up a wide receiver one week and Mm -hmm. two of those were the wide receiver one overall. And there was another top five week thrown in there too. So if you have DK and Lockett, you're pretty much guaranteed a, a 40 point, combination 50 point combination right. yeah you might look down and see a, a tyler lock at five points right. but you're all getting dk at 35 so you're kind of minimizing your risk there by going with both options whereas if you go with mike evans and chris godwin 
Heck, it might not be either of them for one game. It might be Antonio Brown, Gronkowski. It might be the defense stepping up and then them really utilizing the run. So for me, like, yeah, this was an easy one. DK and Lockett. It actually would have been a little bit more difficult if Fuller and Cooks were still included, I think. But yeah, I'll go with this box. Which I think was slept on. That's why I had them uh, in the mix originally. Because I like that I, I like you, that you included them, right. yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't seem to put them on that same tier, but in reality, I mean, they were both pretty consistently both going off uh, mm-hmm. for some weeks. But I, I like the combination of points you guys made, um, Jacob. You know, you mentioned um, one of them's going to go off, and that one guy going off might just win you a matchup. And then JB on on the other side talking about the Bucks, it's very diverse with who is getting what sort of touches, um, where their production's coming from. Um, a little bit hard to predict with the Buccaneers. Uh, core of weapons there. Hmm. So going going to the next question here, and again, just throwing out a mixture of questions: dynasty, redraft, current, twenty twenty, a little bit all over the place. But I like that just because uh, keeps everybody uh, entertained for the uh, the podcast here. But uh, James Robinson, I have a soft spot for James Robinson because I live in a suburb of Illinois. He's from Rockford, Illinois. He went to Illinois State, same college my wife did actually. Um, and he's balling out this season. The RB4 on the year, he has an average of 18.3 points, 890 rushing yards, eight touchdowns total. Um, he's had weeks where he scored 21, 30.9, 31.7, 26.9 last week. The volume is insane for James Robinson. 27 touches last game. He's had 25-plus touches in four out of five of the last game. So you can count on him, him getting involved in the passing game, a ton of carries, on a consistent level. The asterisk moving forward, maybe for some people, and I saw a lot of debate about this. Uh, we got a quick comment here. Chris checking in. What's up, Chris? Evening. Evening. Uh, so so one thing that I saw that has been brought up with James Robinson, though, is his fantasy playoff schedule. So weeks 14, 15, and 16, he draws Tennessee, Baltimore, and Chicago. I had to say Chicago like a true Chicago, Chicago. in there. Chicago. No. Chicago. But, uh, yeah, so he, he's been very good in fantasy. Um, the volume is insane. Do you have any sort of thoughts about potentially benching him if you have the abil- uh, availability to do so due to the matchups and the fantasy playoffs here? And, JB, we can start with you on this one. James Robinson will be nowhere near my bench he is going to be in my starting lineup. Like you said, for the last five games, at least 25 touches, you know, 17 rushing attempts, at least 17 rushing attempts in each of the last five games. And Jacksonville, they're a funny team because it doesn't matter what the score is. They're still willing to run the ball. And people were knocking him. Well, Blaine Gabbert, you know, coming in. Was it Blaine Gabbert? I don't even know who the heck came in for them. Um, what, uh, what The last game, Glennon? Glennon, I'm saying Blaine Gabbert here. I don't know where the heck I pulled that from. They all just mold into one quarterback. Yeah, seriously. So, so Glennon, um, you know, they're going to give James Robinson the ball at least four targets in eight games this season. And I think we saw his floor against the Pittsburgh Steelers where he still managed 10 PPR points. He he's been finding the end zone occasionally, but he really hasn't been, you know, making his hay there in the end zone where you look at a lot of players and, They have to get in the end zone. I'll take 10 points out of James Robinson. And I know on paper, the scary matchup is that Baltimore Ravens defense. They gave up over 120 yards to Damien Harris and Derrick Henry in back-to-back weeks. Hmm. I am not as worried 
as other people are going to be. So James Robinson, like I said, nowhere near my bench. I am starting him without a doubt. And we have a, a great comment um, from I-80 Sports Bob. Got to dance with the girl who brought you there, which is Love that. True Love fact. that commitment. Jacob, do you think twice about benching James Robinson due to these matchups? I absolutely do not. I mean, I was scared, though, when John was like, he's nowhere near. I was like, did you bench. like that? Oh, okay, okay. I did that on purpose. <laughs> nice, nice. Woo. You got me. Yeah, I just, like you said, that Steelers game where they're getting blown out, he still gets 10 points in PPR leagues. I mean, he still was a low-end RB2, even though that was the most negative game script of of the whole week. You know, I'm, I mean, he is an unbelievable talent. And I don't, I don't know where, so Nick just educated me on where he came from. I was like, where did this guy come from? He, he came from Illinois state, you know, I mean, where is Ryquel Armstead? I mean, does anyone know where that guy is? Is he okay? (laughs) Something weird was going on with that because he had, he had COVID, but I think he dealt with some complications with COVID. So I, I don't, I don't know what was the complications. I haven't heard anything. I don't know if John, if you've heard anything about that. I saw the one tweet, and I don't know if it was like a retweet from Field Yates a few weeks back, but it sounded like he went to the hospital at least once, maybe twice, just like you said, Nick, because of the complications. But, yeah, there was a stretch. Nobody knew a thing about what was going on. Right. So when he got – so James Robinson was really forced into the starting lineup as an undrafted free agent, and uh, he's been balling out. You know, I mean, at his past – or if you look at his last five games, he's averaging 22 carries over a hundred yards, you know, and he, he's averaging 4.2 targets. Like Nick was saying, he's in the passing game too, for a total of 73 yards, you know? And like you said, he just has an incredible floor on an awful team. And I'm taking volume all day over like a possible boomer bust running back option. I mean, you're starting J Rob. Yeah, I, I threw this one in there just because, you know, we, we all have a, a, a diverse um, group of people that listen to us on a, a, on a weekly basis. And um, I know the three of us would never sit a stud, right? But some people do look at fantasy matchups, and I think you have to avoid getting cute sometimes with these things and say, hey, well, James Robinson's playing Baltimore. I know he, sh- he struggled a little bit against Pittsburgh back when he played them. Maybe i bench him for... I don't know, a guy who's been very good lately, like a Wayne Gallman, who I threw on this list here. But uh, I think the point we're all getting at is you don't sit your studs. Um, if the volume's there, it, it's it's crucial. Uh, I don't think a lot of running backs have that sort of volume. I, I think we could probably write off maybe a handful off the top of our head that on a weekly basis we can, we can uh, count on getting 25 touches, which is insane to have. Another question. So that's actually a question I saw on Twitter, um, not directed to me, just floating around there. Another question I saw on Twitter is, is Travis Kelsey the 2020 fantasy MVP? And I didn't really get the question at first, but then when I looked at the explanation of um, why this question was being asked, we look at Travis Kelsey at the tight end position. That's been a bit of a struggle this year. Uh, Obviously George Kittle being injured, um, and out, and then we have a lot of other guys that have super hot, super cold weeks and don't really score a ton. He's the tight end one right now, and his average is 19.3 points. He has 212 total points on the year. The tight end two has 146. 
The tight end three has 130. So the point being here is that Travis Kelsey, the points he produces is such a huge gap between the next year and the next year and the next year of fantasy tight ends. Does that for you guys make him the fantasy tight end just because of how far away he is in the position compared to others? And before we get you guys uh, into this, we got Dave Toronto. I swear yeah. Kelsey would be a top five wide receiver, and that'd be a good yeah. stat to look at where he would be for the position. But uh, JB, we'll start with you on this. Um, is this is this a good question? I love this question. We actually talked about this after week eight on Fantasy Football Confidential. We did the midseason MVP, and mm -hmm. that was one of the awards that we gave out. And my guy was Travis Kelsey. Nice. The yeah. advantage that you have in the value over replacement, you can't make up those points throughout the rest of your lineup. It, it is a set it and forget it. One of the very few players that are like that, he is averaging at least over six points per game more than tight end two. There is no other, and not just a tight end two, the tight end two. There is no other position like that. If you look across the board, Alvin Kamara, even though, yeah, there's some things going on there in New Orleans, Kamara and Cook, Tyreek and Adams, Kyler, Mahomes, Rush, Josh Allen, all those guys, there are other viable options that you don't have to make up the ground there, but six points over the tight end two is such a drastic mm -hmm. difference. And I tweeted out after the this week's game, I said, yes, everybody's talking about Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes, and fantasy managers might have been disappointed that Travis Kelsey put up eight for 80 with no touchdowns, but that is the luxury and the what fantasy managers that have Travis Kelsey in the roster have become have you know become accustomed to here that we're spoiled by Travis Kelsey and he is absolutely without a doubt my fantasy MVP. He's missed one game since what 2014. Right. He is reliable. Now I probably shouldn't have said that. I'll knock on wood somewhere. But, <laughs> oh, I got you. Right. I'm coming but, after you. Yeah, I, I just think he's so reliable. He's somebody that is one of the you know looking at this 2020 season where things have been so wild. He is one piece of consistency that we can look to and yeah he's my fantasy mvp this season so um you mentioned before how much of an advantage it is uh when Taysom hill was the the talk of twitter and fantasy because you can plug him into the tight end position it was almost disrespectful to travis kelsey because he yeah. has produced that sort of way this whole year um jacob is uh is that something you can buy into or are you a little bit on the other side of that. What's funny is that Kelsey outscored Hill still, you know, he was still the number one ranked tight end that week, which I was like, which I loved. Uh, but you know, I can't argue with that. You know, like Kelsey is the fantasy MVP. Now before George Kittle went down, you could lump both those studs together and say they were both the MVPs because of what you guys have been saying. There's a huge drop off between the two, but Kelsey has stayed. Kelsey has stayed. I'm sorry. Kelsey has stayed healthy, which is a huge advantage over Kittle. Yeah. So I am very much a guy who who is just you're going to draft running back, running back in the first two rounds. Don't even think about going anywhere else. I'm just like set those two guys, and then you can build your team around them. And I've been like that for at least ten years now. But I am slowly starting to change that, considering how awful tight ends have been this year. I mean, awful. 
I mean, it is so hard for me to hit on my streaming articles with, with, uh, with all of like the tight end volatility. I mean, I'm probably half it. It's, it's been an awful year for awful year for tight ends. So much so that I wouldn't mind taking Kelsey late first to early second. If I have a stud RB, I won't relent on that. You need your stud RB one, but Kelsey, I would take over an RB two, a middling RB one too. Yeah. And I thought, I thought, Darren Waller was going to be a little bit closer to even pushing towards that tier, but man, we've saw some iffy weeks for, for him as well. Um, I don't want to get too, too into it. Um, but Derek Carr was Can't my try. surprise of the week, uh, just because the matchup was so nice and his ceiling is not as bad as people think. And he's got this great completion percentage, but right. 6.3 out of Darren Waller this past week, he's had a few games where he's under like eight points. So, he's nowhere near that tier of Kelsey. So there is a huge gap between Kelsey and any other tight end fantasy that's healthy right now, which is crazy. So ne next on the list, um, we're talking about guys that lead the position, Alvin Kamara. Um, week 11 here, 13 for 45 and a touchdown. He had zero catches. Week 12, 11 for 54, one catch for negative two yards. He's had eight games with five plus catches. And he's had three games of nine plus with a 13 um, catch game in that mix there, week three against Green Bay. So we're used to Kamara being almost like a wide receiver in the league. Taysom Hill, does he kill Kamara's value moving forward while he's a starter? Jacob, we can start with you on this one. Yes, 100%. I thought that week 11 was just an anomaly with, with Alvin Kamara going absolutely catchless but he was only targeted twice last game. And that was for negative two yards. So for me, Alvin Kamara is going is absolutely going to be ranked outside of my top five every week. As long as Hill is starting there. JB, you're in the same boat or do you have some uh, optimism for Kamara? No, I think it's pretty clear at this point. You know, the, the biggest concern for me, he goes from a 26% target share to a 9% target share with mm -hmm. Taysom Hill. And it's not just the 9% target share, but now we're also seeing fewer pass attempts. And Taysom Hill, if you have him for fantasy purposes, fine. You know, especially in super flex leagues, if you're one of those people on ESPN that refuse to change your lineup just so you can play Taysom Hill tight end. And I think that's garbage, by the way. But if you're doing that, whatever. But you know, the, it's the targets. Like you said, Nick, we are seeing wide receiver production. We finally were going to see a season where he demolished that 81 receptions because he hit it three years in a row, exactly mm -hmm. 81 receptions. And, you know, how is this season going to end for Alvin Kamara? Unfortunately, in redraft leagues and some dynasty leagues, you're past your trade deadline. So you're stuck with him at this point. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very difficult. If I'm choosing between Alvin Kamara and I picked up James Robinson off of waivers early in the season, I'm going James Robinson. And like you said, Jacob, until Taysom Hill either shows the willingness to get him involved in the passing game or he's no longer the quarterback, I can't count on Alvin Kamara. The the rushing attempts, they're pretty flat from Drew Brees to Taysom Hill, about 12 per game. But you, you see these running quarterbacks, and sometimes they minimize the the running backs in the passing game we see in Baltimore to an extent, obviously with Lamar Jackson, you know, Josh Allen to an extent in Buffalo, but we're seeing it now with Taysom Hill and it, Alvin Kamara dynasty. 
if your trade deadline hasn't passed, you're probably going to hold unless you can make a, you know, a lateral type move, maybe a little bit of a downgrade longer term. But if you're a contender, maybe that makes sense for you. But I'm just, there's nothing to be excited about here as long as Taysom Hill is behind center. Hey, I was listening uh, to Field Yates. Um, I know he's on your show, JB, um, before the season start, which was awesome. Um, cool. But I listen to their their show all the time. And a point he brought up, uh, an idea um, that I thought about a little bit is with with other quarterbacks in the league, like Drew Brees, for instance, sometimes when he's looking for the bigger play downfield or maybe across the middle and it breaks down, it doesn't work out, he can easily audible to Kamara out of the backfield and find him, whereas mm-hmm. maybe a, a Taysom Hill tier sort of quarterback doesn't really have the the confidence and ability to do that. And I wondered if maybe that's a factor where he doesn't see option one or two, so then he can find Kamara out of the backfield, um, and he's just not at that comfort level uh, to do that. Maybe maybe I'm way off on this, um, but that was an idea I thought was interesting. No, I think it's spot on too, because then, like I said, the mobile quarterbacks, if the first option's not there, the second option might not be there, they take right. off. Right. Exactly, Jacob. They, they take mm-hmm. off. So now, you, again, you're limiting the running backs in the passing game. And I see Dave's comment, Latavius Murray might be a decent start now too. I would just be a little hesitant because they did just go against the Denver Broncos who didn't have a quarterback. And they were able to run, run, run. And I think, I, I thought I saw Alvin Kamara might have been a little bit banged up. I mm-hmm. I, I would like to see more information on that, but yeah, if you're in a deeper league, Latavius Murray, fire him up, mm-hmm. but I would, you know, temper expectations a little bit there personally. Right. And, and last uh, part of this, um, with Taysom Hill still under center is Kamara a must start. Oh, you have to start him. Oh. I think you do just because like, what better option do you have? It's like, I'm not going Robinson. What's that? James Robinson. Oh, well, you know, if you have James Robinson, I will. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. sure. It's just, it's really hard if you have two right, right. two running backs and a flex. It's like, I can't justify benching some guy who's definitely going to get 15 plus touches, you know? It's, you know, and he has the talent to overcome, which is nice to know. Yeah, I think it's just a very team dependent question. I mean, what is, what is your outlook of your team look like? I, I know in some leagues, I'm very, very deep and I can audible on a weekly basis and other leagues. If one guy is a little bit banged up, I might have a rough go. Um, team dependent. Uh, I got two quick questions here and then we'll wrap things up because we're about to hit that hour mark here. So maybe we can fly through these last two. So Cam Akers, does he escape the committee? Um, last week he had nine carries for 84 yards and a touchdown. He had a big 67 yard play. Brown and Henderson combined for 13 carries for 23 yards. Do you think red flashing lights were going off in McVay's head after having a a decent game out of Cam Akers that he can escape out of this committee? Or are we still going to have this this outlook that the Rams are just going to go with the hot hand at the time? Um, JB, what's your your quick thoughts here on, on Cam Akers still in a committee or does he escape it? For the remainder of this year, I think he's going to remain in a committee. Sean McVay, he's still one of those coaches, and you you see this get thrown around a lot, that he is concerned with his running backs and pass protection, especially with that offensive line. At times, it's a little bit shaky that Cam Akers, he doesn't exactly trust him. So I, I think he's still going to be uh, in a committee, but also just the way this offense operates. One day, it's Robert Woods. Next week, it's Cooper Cup. One week, it's Malcolm Brown. One week, it might be uh, Cam Akers. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be very tough to predict on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Jacob, agreement? 
Yeah, yeah. I've been hoping for weeks that K-Makers would take the reins, but apparently McVay still loves Daryl Henderson and his 10 carries for 19 yards. I mean, I don't know what it's going to take for Akers to finally take the reins, but like you said, John, it's not going to happen this year. Last uh, running back question here, um, since we're talking about committees and situations that happen in a backfield, maybe not the, the sexiest topic, but Wayne Gallman, RB6 week 7 through 12, and there's a bye week in there. He was the RB3 from week 7 through 10 before the bye. He's had games of 16-4, 13.2, 14.7, and then his last two, 19 and 18.1. Maybe a two-part question. When, when, when Freeman comes back, is it still Gallman's job? And then moving forward, did he just have a hot streak, or do we actually buy him being a good play the rest of the season here? And we can start with Jacob. And maybe just your quick thoughts on, on Wayne Gallman here. Yeah, that's just a backfield I'm going to avoid entirely once Freeman's back. I mean, all of Gallman's success, you know, is because Freeman's been hurt. Now, once Freeman comes back, they're going to split touches. And a Giants running back room that's splitting touches is n- not anywhere that I want to be in. <laughs> JB? And, and yeah, I'm on board there. And, you know, since Freeman's been out, Gallman's been averaging one touchdown per game. It sounds like Daniel Jones might be missing some time here. Is that going to be, is that touchdown upside that is carrying Wayne Gallman's value? Unlike James Robinson, who we talked about earlier, is it going to be there? I don't think so, but I do think it's going to be a split between Gallman and Freeman, maybe 60, 40 for Gallman, but still, even with Freeman out, he wasn't involved in the passing game that much. So yeah, he's a nice depth piece, but there is that concern now more because Daniel Jones is out but also a little bit because Devontae Freeman coming back. Mm-hmm. Good, good points there, guys. Um, we're going to wrap things up just because we're at the hour mark, just over it. But again, this was a very all over the place sort of show, but I thought it was kind of fun that way. Um, so many things to talk about when it comes to fantasy football, dynasty, redraft, the rest of the season here. Um, and it seems like, again, like I said earlier in the podcast, I get nervous when my phone goes off because I don't know if it's good news, bad news someone's sick, some sort of <laughs> protocol or what the case is, but it's Seriously. it's just been a crazy year. But again, I appreciate both of you guys coming on on the show here. Um, part of the reason I did just fire off all those questions is because when you have two guys this smart, I got to pick their brain a little bit. So thank you guys again for coming on. And we'll start with uh, JB. Give us a reminder where we can find you, what you got coming up here too. This always happens when I do a guest spot. And Nick, Jacob, I apologize because there were some fantastic questions that we didn't get to, but mm. God knows I talk and talk and talk. Yeah, I could talk. I, to I like it. Love it. But but I do apologize for being long-winded at times. But yeah, find me on Twitter at The Bauer Club, Dynasty Theory at Dynasty Theory FF on Twitter and Instagram, and then Fantasy Football Confidential at FF underscore Confidential, both on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the Dynasty Theory Patreon. Even you know if your interest is a little bit peaked, come check it out. See if there's anything that interests you. Um, you know, a lot of great content and things will be rolling out there. But again, Nick, thank you so much for having me. No problem at all. And uh, have John popping in JB long winded with the guys <laughs> there. J- Jacob, give give us uh, the lowdown where we can find you, what you got going on and coming up here. Yeah, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at ain't done yet. And done is spelled D-U-N-N-E. Follow me for some weekly streamers, game previews and all the rankings you need. Um, you know, and I just want to say thank you so much for 
have me on, Nick. I had a blast talking fantasy with you gentlemen. All right, and thanks to everybody that tuned in to watch us live. This will be out on iTunes and Apple and all that. That's the same thing, but all sort of uh, other ways to view this episode. And uh, I'll be in touch with you too. And thanks again for coming on, guys. Absolutely. Thanks.